You're listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church, a relevant biblical community. For more information, visit houstonsfirst.org. What a joy for us to be able to connect through worship and now through God's Word to be able to have some teaching from that. So welcome Sienna and Cypress and downtown Digital Family, Loop Campus as well. We have been in a week of prayer and fasting, 24 hours, seven days of prayer and fasting. I want to give you a little report on all the great things that have happened this week, uh, some statistics, if you will. We have had 5,600 15-minute prayer slots taken, which totals 85,000 minutes of prayer, which goes to about 1,400 hours of prayer, which is 59 days of prayer for 24 hours straight, which totals about two months of prayer. So can we give a little cheer for that? Is that awesome or what? So it'd be as if you started praying right now, and if you were the only one doing it, you would have prayed 24 hours a day, seven days a week for two months. That's what's happened in our prayer time of this week of concentrating on that. Now, we don't do that because we think, oh, good, we checked the box, and now that's over. That is the fuse that kind of lights the firecracker, if you will, of all that God will do this year. So we're excited about what's coming from that. We want to continue praying, continue letting God do His work through us and calling out on His name in a great way. Not only that, we prayed and we fasted. Those things go together in the Bible, like peanut butter and jelly. You just can't eat it. So you got prayer and fasting there, and we may mix it up a little bit. And so we had... Um, Scripture Memory Sunday was last Sunday, and we memorized the scripture I'm actually going to preach on today. And then we had Social Media List Monday. We all got a bookmark last week. Social Media List Monday, TV Free Tuesday, Webless Wednesday, H2O Thursday, Fasting Friday, and Screen Free Saturday, except for the Texans game. We gave a little carve out for that because they won. There we go. We got it right there. I'm hoping I don't run out of shirts before we run out of wins uh, to be able to keep going, but we'll keep on going. I think we're going to do great. So we had that fasting time, and it's been amazing to hear the stories of that fasting. And so I hope you jumped in with us. If you weren't here last week, you missed all the hard stuff this week, and you're jumping in on this week. But those of us that were here last week, I hope it really did something in your heart. It was good for us. It's good for us. Here's what fasting does. Three things. First, it creates a thought. Hmm, should I do this? Should I not do this? What does this mean? Do I believe in this? Is this weird? What, what, What should I do? First, there's a thought created. Second, there's then a challenge revealed. There's a challenge revealed that we have where we realize God's revealed something. I didn't know that social media Monday, I wouldn't be able to do it type thing might be what you're thinking, that it would be that hard. So God revealed something that maybe social media has got a little bit too hard of a hold on you. A lot of folks, the hardest day was Thursday, where it was just drinking water on Thursday, eating food and drinking water because there was no coffee and there was no Cokes. And so it revealed to you that you need caffeine is what it revealed to you. And so there's a revealing, but then number three, it brings us to prayer. And that's where we really want to get to. So the first thing, it creates a thought. The second thing, it reveals maybe something a little too strong in your life. And then thirdly, it reveals or it brings you to a place of prayer. And that's what the goal is, to get to a place of prayer. Not just go without something, but go something better and go to prayer and turn, the Lord, turn to the Lord in those ways. So um, I just want to encourage you, if, if whatever day was the hardest day for you, whatever day that is, do that day again next week. Just pick out what was the hardest one for you? What did you cheat on the most? What did you just not do? 
Pick out that day and do it next week because that's probably one that's got a little more strength in your life than you need it to have. Doesn't mean it's sin, just means there's a little more strength. Give you a funny story. We'll jump into the word in just a second. Uh, There's a a wonderful senior adult lady in our church. Love her. She's amazing. And so I I said, I said, how did TV Free Tuesday go for you? It was TV Free Tuesday. I said, how's TV Free Tuesday? And she said, well, I stood there holding my remote control in front of the TV. I said, should I? Should I not? Should I? Should I not? I said, what'd you do? She said, I went ahead and watched Jeopardy at 11.30. (laughs) But they were having a big tournament. That's what her disclaimer was. So that was great. So that's okay. And if the worst thing you did was watch Jeopardy at 11.30, things are fine. It's okay. But to be able to have that moment where you reveal something where you got to go, okay, should I, should I not? The thought, the revealing, and then to the prayer. So with that in mind, let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We are kicking off a new book of the Bible. I love when we kick off new books of the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you've got a Bible that we give away at the church, it's on page 1055, and you can read right from there and take that Bible home with you as a gift. Now, let me tell you about 2 Timothy before we jump into it. Second Timothy is the last book out of 13 books that Paul has written in the New Testament. It's his last will and testament. Now, we're going to get Titus after this, but that's just the biblical order and the way it's lined out in your scripture. It's actually 1 Timothy, Titus, then 2 Timothy. And we're going to do Titus in a couple months even. But 2 Timothy is the last book of Paul's writing. It's his last will and testament, if you will. He's imprisoned in Rome. I'll show you pictures in a later talk of the prison. I've been there. It's called the Mamertine Prison. It's not a pretty place. It's not an easy place, but I'll show you pictures later. That's where he is. It's his second time to be in prison. Now, let me give you a comparison of the first time he was imprisoned to the second time that he's in prison so you would understand before we jump into the scripture. In Acts 28, he was under house arrest. He had freedom in his house. In 2 Timothy, he's in chains as a criminal. Acts 28, he could have visitors come and visit him. Many people came and visited him. 2 Timothy, it's dangerous to visit him. Acts 28, many believers were with him. 2 Timothy, he's completely alone. Acts 28, he expected his release, that he'd be released. He talks about it in Philippians 1 and, and the book of Philemon as well. And then in this book, he knows that he's going to die. And he is in a terrible prison underneath, basically he's going to be killed by Nero. Remember, Nero burned down Rome a couple years before this happened, blamed it on the Christians. And now here he is, Paul's in the prison. He knows he's going to die. And with that as the backdrop, we're going to read his last will and testament, if you will. And I want you to hear the first verse of scripture in this prison, knowing he's going to die. What's the first thing that'll come out of his mouth? Chapter one, verse one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, for the sake of, let it knock you down, the promise of life in Christ Jesus. He knows he's going to die. And he's talking about the promise of life in Christ Jesus, heavenly perspective. To Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy, and peace. Usually it just says grace and peace. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, he's thankful, whom I serve with a clear conscience at the end of his life, as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you in my prayers, night and day, remembering you with tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am convinced is in you also. 
So here is Paul and the first words out of his mouth in a prison that he knows he's gonna die is Paul, an apostle of Christ, God's gonna use me. By the will of God, God's got me in this hard place. In the promise of life in Jesus Christ, heavenly perspective. Now, if you were in the prison, if I was in the prison, I'll just say for me, maybe it's you. If I was in the prison, I would be whiny and complainy. Wouldn't you? Lord, look at all the things I've done for you. God, look at all the great things that have happened for you. Look at all the things I've written. This is my 13th book of the Bible. He didn't know that at that point, but this is the 13th thing that I've written for you. I'm Paul. And here I am in this prison. It's got a hole in the roof. They basically would throw food into this big stone prison. It wasn't clean. It wasn't nice. It was moist. It was wet. It was damp. It was dank. And here comes the food. He's got to eat it off the ground. It's been shoved disrespectfully to him. And he says, I thank God for you, Timothy. And I'm looking forward to the promise of life in Jesus Christ. A heavenly perspective knows that we are eternal beings having an earthly existence, not earthly beings just gonna maybe one day get into eternity. That we are eternal in our nature. That That's why receiving Jesus Christ as Savior is so important because there is an eternity to come and you wanna spend that with God. And that happens through life in Jesus Christ as Savior. You could trust him as Savior right now as I'm talking or talk to somebody at the end of the service at any campus to say, Jesus, I receive you as Savior. Forgive my sins, live in my heart. I wanna go to heaven when I die. And so he's talking about these things and he's saying, I've got a heavenly perspective, even in the hardest of times. And instead of being whiny and complaining, he's actually thankful and he's gonna stand strong unto his death. Now, how's that gonna happen? It's gonna happen by a lot of things, but I'm gonna give you two things that it happens. Number one, we stand strong through respectful reflection. We stand strong through respectful reflection. Verse three, I thank God who I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did. He looks back to his Jewish ancestors that were trying to keep the law and waiting for the Messiah. Now he'll say in other books of the Bible that they were all about the law too much and different ancestors. So he constantly remembers in his prayers in verse three, Timothy day and night, remembering with tears in verse four. He longs to see him. He recalls his grandmother. He recalls his mother. There's a respectful ancestors, grandmother, mother, reflection, remembrance, even with tears. And he's saying, I'm going to stand strong because I'm looking back at all that God has done. Paul is thankful, he's thoughtful, and he's prayerful. Thankful, thoughtful, and prayerful. And I hope that if I was in that prison, that somehow by the grace of God, he'd give me the strength to be thankful, thoughtful, and prayerful. I hope when we go through hard times, we can be thankful to the Lord. We can be thoughtful about what he's doing. We can be prayerful about asking him what we wanna put before him. And Paul's got all those things coming together and he goes back to his ancestors, but he goes back to Timothy and he says, Timothy, I want you to remember your grandmother and your mother. I want you to look back on those times. Now, Paul's, or excuse me, Timothy's grandmother and Timothy's mother are amazing women of God, amazing ladies. He calls them out right there by name that your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, do you know that his grandmother Lois, her name means best and most beautiful? Not great. He says, Lois, not Superman and Lois Lane, Lois is the best And most beautiful, Timothy, would you remember your grandmother for a moment of how amazing a woman of faith she was? I want you to remember also your your mother, Eunice. Eunice, her name means good victory, good victory. That this powerful grandmother, 
I want you to remember that. Now, Paul is talking about his mom and his grandmother. Did you notice that he doesn't mention his dad? He doesn't mention his dad. Why? I'll show you in just a second. Timothy's dad was not a believer. But Paul sees himself as Timothy's spiritual father. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. The first Timothy, it says this, my true and dearly loved son in the faith. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2 says, my dearly loved son. So he's a spiritual father as he's acknowledging respectfully and reflectively his mother and his grandmother. Now, let me show you in Acts chapter 16. We'll put it on the screens. What happened to Timothy's dad? Where's Timothy's dad? Because here's what happens in all of our lives. We both, all of us have two forks in the road or a fork in the road. We got both paths going on. Some of us have a spiritual heritage that we look and we're like, wow, my mom, my grandmother, my my dad, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, on and on and on. And we've got this spiritual heritage we can look down and go, wow, incredibly blessed by all of those things. And if you've got that, I hope you are realize how blessed upon blessed upon blessed you are that you can look back a generation of generation and generation. And you're like, I've been in church my whole life. I've been in church nine months before I was born. I was in church. That's not a curse. That is a blessing. And some of you are looking down the other path and saying, I don't know of anybody in my family right now that's in church besides me today, right now. This whole thing's new to me. What's this singing? What's this praising? What's this fasting? What's this giving? What's... what? And we've got all of this, but here's the deal. Most of us have both paths in our lives. We can look at some people that were influential spiritually in our life, and we can look at some people that, that weren't in our family. So we've got Timothy's dad, we'll see in just a second. And we've got Timothy's mom and grandmother. If we were to shake your family tree, I bet we would shake out some spiritual fruit. If we were to shake your family tree, I bet we'd shake out some nuts as well that would come out of there. So you'd be like, look, I want them to go to church. I just don't want them going to church with me because it'd be embarrassing at this point to have them right here. So we all got some crazies, we all got some awesomes, right? The deck of cards, the 52 cards, it's got aces and twos. There's four aces, there's four twos. And we got all that played out in all of our lives. And so watch it happen in Timothy's life, Acts chapter 16, verse one through three. Here's what it says. And Paul went to Derby and to Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, there's our guy, the son of a believing Christian Jewish woman but his father was Greek, meaning false gods, false idols. The brothers and sisters at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. Timothy was respected. You need to be respected. We talked about in chapter three of 1 Timothy. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him, so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, since they all knew that his father was a Greek. So here's what happened. We're going to read between the lines a little bit. Paul or Timothy's mom and, and grandmother were Jewish ladies that became believers in Christ. And Timothy's dad was a Greek. Timothy's dad forbid him from being circumcised like the Jews would be circumcised. And Paul said, look, we don't want to have any beef with anybody. When we go out on the road with missions, we don't want anybody talking about all this. So let's just go ahead and get circumcised. Not let's, Paul had already. So, but Timothy, and so we're going to do this because we don't want this to be an issue at all. Timothy's father prevented him from following his mother's Jewish heritage. Do you see it? Reading between the lines a little bit, but that's what it appears to be. So we've got an unbelieving dad and we've got a believing mom and a believing grandmother. And that probably looks similar to your family as well, possibly. Some believers, some encouragers, but some folks that are like, you're doing what? You do, you believe in what? 
Christmas isn't just about gifts. It's like really about like you really believe like, like there's a baby being born in Bethlehem. This is what this whole thing's about. And so we've got those aces. We've got those twos. Some of us should have tremendous gratitude and others of us, I should say all of us, should realize there is a great need for spiritual fathers and mothers. If you don't have biological children, let me tell you what, you still have impact because there is a need for spiritual fathers, Paul, and spiritual mothers to come along and to care for folks that don't have this Christian heritage, that don't have this lineage, and to be a disciple and a disciple maker and discipleship in all of those lives. We all need those people in a great, great way. Do you have spiritual mentors in your life? Are you a spiritual mentor in somebody else's life? Do you have a lineage that's like, you know, you trace it back to Billy Graham? And others, y'all trace it back to crazy Uncle Billy, you know, is where it goes the other way. What's your spiritual heritage? Are you thankful? I hope you are. Are you building that in your own? Because from Lois to Eunice to Timothy to the church of Ephesus, Timothy's the pastor, to Houston's first, we're still talking about Timothy today. Look at the legacy. Now, thinking about this, I thought about a friend of mine. He's a, a businessman here in our church, amazing guy, godly man, real successful businessman. I went to his office and beautiful office, great view, amazing gallery area kind of thing. And so he showed me what was the most precious thing in his office to him. And it was this book right here, it's this big book. And what this book is, is he's a pastor's son. This is his, past, his father's sermons 200 of his father's sermons bound together in a book. His dad preached 47 years before retiring, typically in smaller churches throughout Louisiana. And his wife, who's now in heaven at this time, got this book and bound it for him to his surprise. And on Christmas, gave this to him years ago as the bound sermons of his father's messages. Do you hear spiritual heritage in that? Some of you are like, wow, that's what we should do with my dad's sermons one day. Some of you are like, my dad, I don't know if he's heard a sermon. This is what she wrote on the cover of the book right here, written to our fellow church member friend. I dedicate this special book to my husband with much love and admiration Thank you for the godly guidance, example, and devoted love you have given our family. So here's the wife thanking the husband for the godliness that he's shown to the family. So I've got the, 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 the sermons from the dad being influenced into the son that the wife is thanking for the influence into the family. Do you see the Christian heritage here? Do you see the godly line that's being formed here? When I asked my friend if I could could borrow this book, he said he often, this is his quote, I often will sit and read through one of his sermons. I can still hear his voice speaking God's word. Isn't that beautiful? And then he said, just this past Thursday, my granddaughter was looking through the book and realizing that these were the words of her great-grandfather. Let me show you a picture. I, I flipped through, I didn't read every sermon, but I flipped through every single page of this and looked at it. Let me show you just the pages, just a handwritten good old sermon there. Amazing. Do You see this being written. He's in heaven now, been there for years. These sermons being written in the pastor's study, study preached in the pastor's small little church, then bound up by a wife to say thank you to the husband for his godly heritage that he's giving to his children. So then last week, 
didn't know I was going to ask for this. It just so happened. Last week, his granddaughter is reading these sermons of her great-grandfather. Oh, Eunice. Oh, Lois. Do you know your impact as grandparents? Do you know your impact as parents? Do you know your impact as spiritual fathers and mothers? I want to read to you just one little section. It really connects with what we're going to into the next point. Let me read you one section out of this. It's a sermon from Luke chapter 22. It was called His Will, Not Mine. And he begins the intro, says, I want to speak to you this morning about knowing and doing the will of God. Then we get about halfway through the sermon. He says this, you are unique. You are different from everyone else who has ever lived. God made you that way. Someone said, and I believe it, God didn't waste time making duplicates. He made you an individual mind, body, and soul. So God's will for you is to realize the unique potential which he planted within you. God's will is that you, your practice might match up with your potential. And then it goes on and on. How to preach. So here we have this as a spiritual legacy in our very church. And so I just tell you, grandparents like Lois, God can use you greatly. Moms, don't ever underestimate your influence in the home. God can use you greatly. Those that have father wounds, ask God to bring you a Paul spiritually that will make a difference in your life. Because when we talk about these things, these can be painful things for many, many people. And let the legacy then form in you so that you're able to leave a legacy in others. Do you see it? So how's Paul going to stand strong? Paul's going to stand strong by legacy. Here's what I've done. You can do this. I've got Bibles that I retire every few often years. I write down, I preach this book of the Bible in here. I did my quiet times in it. I've highlighted in it. I've written notes in it. I put them on the shelf because my goal one day is to give one of those Bibles to each one of my grandchildren. I don't have yet, but one day to be able to give grandchildren each a Bible that their grandfather preached out of, had quiet times out of, took on mission trips, whatever it is, so they can see it. Not just hear it, but see that it's worn out and there's a bunch of them. I've been reading it for almost 40 years now. And letting God do his work in that. And maybe you get so many Bibles, you have to start giving it to great-grandchildren. And they keep that as an heirloom and as a precious thing. So celebrate what God is doing literally from Lois to Eunice to Timothy to the church of Ephesus to us. We're reading 2 Timothy. And he's got a Paul and he's got some spiritual heritage as well. You are preaching sermons every day. People may not bound them together, but you're preaching them every day. Leave a legacy. Second point I want to give you is this. That one is, is based, I put our, our listening guide, I'm moving too fast. I put our listening guide up here at the top of the listening guide. That would be on our more of my people, our New Year's resolutions for the year, that more of my people, that we'd spend time with loved ones and friends in tangible ways and focus time and attention. That's what this first point is about. This one is more of my passion, that we would use our gifts and passions to serve the church and share our faith. So here it is. Our second point and our final point is this, stand strong through rekindling your gifts. Stand strong through rekindling your gifts. Look at what it says, verse six. Therefore, I remind you, remember he's, he's remembering, I remind you to rekindle, underline that in your Bible, stoke into flame 
the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, this is our memory verse, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Rekindle your gifts. So Timothy here is hearing from Paul, I want you to stoke the fire. I want you to stoke the flame. You know what's going to happen this week? There's going to be a lot of fireplaces burning in Houston, Texas this week. It's going to be cold. And so whether you got a gas flame or whatever you got, but if it's particularly if you got real wood in there, look at how you're going to have to stoke that flame, how you're going to have to rekindle that flame, how you're going to have to get the oxygen in there, how you're going to put another uh, piece of wood on there. If you just light it and leave, it's not going to stay long. So he's saying, I want you to rekindle the flame. And I just ask you, church, is the flame kindled in you? Is it burning hot for God? Here's how I can specifically say it. Are you using your spiritual gifts for the glory of Christ? Every believer in Christ has been gifted with something spiritual to be used for the kingdom of God. There's no JV in God's kingdom. We're all varsity. Are you using your spiritual gifts for the kingdom of God, for the glory of God, for the sake of God, for the sake of souls, for the sake of lives? Or are you just kind of getting around other people and just watching me use mine or somebody else use theirs? Or is it on the shelf? Because what will happen is if your gifts are on the shelf, the fire will not burn in your heart. You need to rekindle those gifts. So it says, Timothy, stoke the flame, stoke the flame. Now, what's he talking about here? Let me give you some Bible. First Timothy chapter four, verse 14 is Timothy's ordination is what happens. And here's what it says. Don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. And then in this point, in verse six of chapter one, he says, rekindle the gifts. So Timothy is laid on hands by the elders. He's got his spiritual gift, which is gonna be leadership and teaching and pastoring the church. And then Paul comes around and says, I want you to rekindle that gift. So way back when, years and years ago, I got ordained in Central Baptist Church in Bryan, Texas. That's where I was ordained, and it was a great thing. And I sat there, uh, only suit I owned and tie I ever had. had, Well, I had more ties, but tie I had at the time. Sat down there, and people prayed over me. The deacons of the church prayed over me. They said things in my ear. I mean, the pastor preached a sermon. It was great. It was an amazing time. They laid hands on me and commissioned me out and said, we see gifts of ministry to you. Go forth, son, as a young man. Let me ask you, that was their responsibility to commission me. Whose responsibility is it for my heart to stay hot? Mine, right? It's not their responsibility. It's my responsibility for my heart to stay hot. So he says here, Timothy, yeah, we laid hands on you. Don't forget that. Remember that. But you rekindle the flame. And church, I just ask you, is the flame hot? Are you serving the Lord anywhere? Are you serving the Lord with anyone? Or have you just put it on the shelf? And that's somebody else's job to do. Yeah, you'll pay for it and you'll pray for it. But you're not going to do it. I'm telling you, your heart's going to fade. It's going to fade. It's not going to be hot like it was. Because the cares of the world are going to choke out that seed. And he's saying, Timothy, oh, Timothy, don't. Don't, don't miss it. Keep that heart. I, I, know, I, I know Lois is your grandmother. I know Eunice was your mom. But Timothy, you have a responsibility to wake up each morning and spend time with the Lord and to rekindle that flame. 
A world-renowned pianist said it like this, if I don't practice one day, I notice. If I don't practice two days, the critics notice. If I don't practice three days, everybody notices. My best sermons are when I've been preaching a lot because the flame's hot. So give me grace when I come back on sabbatical in the summers and the first two aren't that great, okay? Just give me a little grace. I'm getting, getting back into it. Keeping that flame hot, keeping that flame hot. Then he closes with this verse. I'll give you this and then we'll wrap up with an illustration and be done. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of love, power, and self-discipline or sound judgment. To be able to think about that, what does it mean? That I love the self-discipline part in particular. It means to control oneself in the face of panic or passion. That you've got self-discipline in panic, we can run from the Lord in passion, in panic. Or in passion, we can run from the Lord in passion. And the self-control and the self-discipline and the sound judgment to say, no, I'm sticking with Jesus and I'm walking. Christians can be people that can get a lot on their shoulders, but they're not gonna break. They're gonna continue to trust in the Lord. So how do we stand strong? We stand strong by remembering reflectively and respectfully. We stand strong by rekindling the gift that's in our heart. And then we become resolute, resolute. As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. And we stand strong in a world that wants us to blow with the wind. Now, the last couple of weeks, I've gotten to travel a little bit. I went to Atlanta, went to the Passion Conference. That was great. Had a little time, got there a little bit early in the Passion Conference. And so uh, I went to the Jimmy Carter Presidential Library in Atlanta, invited my kids to go with us, and they, they were not interested. They did not want to go. And I thought, well, this is a middle-aged man thing to do, isn't it, to go to a presidential library? But Kelly went, and we had a great time, did a great job uh, with Jimmy Carter's library there. We enjoyed it. It was wonderful. It was great. And then this past week, I got to speak in Dallas to a church, to the, their staff group, grouping together uh, to kick off their kind of staff retreat. So I said to my son, hey, what, you want to jump in the car with me? He said, yeah. So we drove up to Dallas together. We had a great time, a uh, wonderful time. Spoke in the morning, a couple mornings ago, uh, to the staff, and we were driving back down south, headed back down to Houston on 75. Beautiful day. As we're driving, I see SMU, Presidential Library, George W. Bush. And I said, hey, you want to go? And he goes, yeah, I want to go. Sure. So we pulled off and went. So, I mean, can you get more patriotic than I've been in two presidential libraries in the last two weeks? That's pretty good. Praying for our country as well. So uh, here we go. So we go and we get to the George W. Bush Presidential Library. It's well done. It's beautiful. It's amazing. You walk through this library and you end up in the mock Oval Office. It's built to scale. It looks just like his Oval Office. It was amazing. You could sit behind the desk there and they would take your picture and then you'd go to the gift shop and for $25, they would give you the picture. Um, so I didn't buy the picture. So there's no picture of me sitting behind the desk and I didn't want anybody tweeting it. Greg's running. No, that's not what's happening. Okay, so, but it was great. I'm just picking a little bit. I don't know if it's 25 bucks or what, but I thought after all my tax paying, I would get a free picture, but I didn't, but that's okay. <laughs> so we had a great time, but the lady, sweet lady, did a great job. Tour guide said, would you like to know some things about the office? And we said yes, and she told us about every picture and every carpet and every, you know, the rugs, the whole deal. But she landed on the desk, it's a mock of the desk. It's not the real one because the real one's still in the White House in the Oval Office. It's called the Resolute. The Resolute. Have you ever heard of this desk? The Resolute. Standing strong, the Resolute desk. Let me show you a picture of the Resolute desk from 1899 where the Treaty of Paris was being signed on behalf of Spain. This was during William McKinley's presidency. So there it is 
right there. I love the fresh flowers there on the Resolute desk. Beautiful. This is the most famous picture, I think, of the Resolute desk. It's of John F. Kennedy and little John John underneath, playing underneath the desk. That's the Resolute desk. It's a partner desk. The door that he's opening up there, it was put there by Franklin Delano Roosevelt because he didn't want people to see him in a wheelchair. So they put a door so they would shut it. But it was supposed to be so you could have a person working on either side as a partner desk. See, what happened, the way that this happened is the desk was made from an old ship. The ship was called the Resolute. And in 1852, the Resolute was a part of a British Arctic expedition. They were going up into the Arctic Circle to be able to try to find a northern passageway that they could find. Well, they got trapped in the ice. They had to abandon the ship. They left the ship and abandoned the ship. Then years later, the ship was discovered by an American whaler. And this American whaler, George Henry, recovered the ship in 1855. So it was just out there for about three years in the sea, brought it back to America, and Congress appropriated funds to refit it and to send it as a gift back to England to Queen Victoria. Queen Victoria said, thank you very much for the gift. And then years later happened, Queen Victoria, they decommissioned the ship. And she said, you know what I want to do? I want you to take the timbers, some of the timbers of that ship, and I want you to make a desk out of it. And we're going to send it to our friends across the pond in America as a desk. And that desk from Rutherford B. Hayes until the president today Almost every single president has used the Resolute desk. LBJ didn't for a while because when Kennedy was assassinated, they sent it on a tour throughout America so people could see the desk of the president. Other times it's been different places in the White House, but pretty much for the most part, this Resolute desk built from timbers of a ship stuck in the ice, that's the desk the president's used. And I'm telling you, Paul may seem stuck in the ice in prison, but he's resolute. He may seem like he's not sailing anymore, but he's still pouring into Timothy so that it could be refashioned, refitted, remade, not to be a ship anymore, but so it could be a desk for him to write the 13th book of the Bible he's going to write, to write the last will and testament he's going to write. He's got a desk so that in the pastor's study, a sermon can come out and that sermon can come out. It could be hundreds of sermons coming out, just at small churches. That's great to be able to minister to one man and to one kid uh, as, as, a, as a child to that man and to be able to minister to that so that he could be then a godly man and his wife could acknowledge his godliness and say, thank you for pouring into our family so that it could come today in front of thousands and I could read part of his sermon to you today. Resolute. And when you take lives based on God's word and you put your life on top of it, you're going to preach sermons that'll break through ice and you may never step into a pulpit. Oh, Lois. Oh, grandmother, we need you. Oh, Eunice. Oh, Eunice, your name means good victory. Be that kind of mom to those kids. Oh, dad, don't let there be a need for a Paul to come in. You be that spiritual father. Oh, Pauls, be on the lookout for those Timothys that need you to pour into their life. We are in a fatherless America. You step in and you be a godly man. Church, if we in 2024 base our lives in the truth and the strength of Scripture, we will be resolute and we will stand strong for Jesus. And it will be a blessing for generation 
after generation, after generation, after generation. Do you remember? Do you need a rekindling in your heart? We always need volunteers at the church and you always need to be serving. Is there a connection? Rekindle that flame so that you can leave a legacy in your grandkids, your kids, and kids that aren't even your biological kids. And God can use you in a passionate way because of the fire in your heart for the kingdom of God. Father, we come in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord. You haven't put God's will before anyone to sit on the shelf. Nobody is at your will for them not to make an impact. It's not the elder's responsibility who laid hands on Timothy. It's now Timothy's responsibility to keep that fire hot. Lord, we want to give you thanks for the spiritual heritage for many, 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 many in our church. They look back and they just go, wow, Lord, thank you. And we want to thank you, Lord, for those that you sent spiritual moms and dads. They didn't have anybody. You sent somebody. And now they get to be that somebody for somebody else. We love you, Lord. Take just a moment, church, before we close in a worship song. Is the fire hot in your heart? Are you serving the Lord? Or do you need the flame to be rekindled? Take that to God. I know many, 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 many of us are serving God greatly. Do you see your workplace as a platform? Are you just trying to make money? Thank God for your spiritual heritage or the fact that he intercepted the the fact that you didn't have one. Lastly, Commit to God in this moment that you're going to leave a spiritual legacy of your own. You're going to walk with God. No matter what anybody else did, you're going to walk with God. You're going to serve the Lord. You're going to be the shining light. Thank you, Lord. We remember. We reflect. We rekindle so we can stand strong and be resolute. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church. We invite you to worship with us at one of our four locations, at The Loop, Cypress, Downtown, or Siena. Follow us on social media or visit us online at houstonsfirst.org.